Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. It's Friday morning time for this week's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Welcome. Well, a lot of news this week on several fronts. It was Kevin McCarthy's second full week as Speaker of the House, and he flexed his muscle by throwing people off of committees. (laughs) Even Mitch McConnell got into the act. McCarthy also took time out to trot down to the White House for a one-on-one with President Biden on the debt ceiling, with McCarthy pledging to cut the Pentagon, but not Social Security or Medicare. Biden, meanwhile, was busy cutting ribbons for new tunnels which may not be important to all the rest of you around the country, but it is to those of us who take Amtrak to New York. And the talented Mr. Santos resigned from his congressional committees until he gets his reputation back. But nobody knows if that's even possible, let alone how long it might take. Well, all that and a lot more for today's panel to dig into. Joining us today, Leah Askaranam, Senior Editor at Grid News. Hello, Leah. Hi, Bill. Good to have you back. Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief and White House Correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor. Hello, Linda. Hi, Bill. And Alex Seitzwald, Senior Digital Politics Reporter for NBC News, joining us today from Philadelphia, where he's there for the uh, big meeting of the Democratic National Committee covering that. Hello, Alex. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Get your report from Philadelphia in just a little bit. Um, I know the biggest story of the week. You know, look up. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's a spy balloon. (laughs) But uh, I'm just going to assume that none of us really have anything to add to the story about the uh, Chinese spy balloon. So let's come back down to earth here. Uh, Linda, Big meeting at the White House between Joe Biden and Kevin McCarthy. It turned out to be not a not a. I thought they were going to be explosives or something. It was a pretty quiet, respectful meeting, I guess. What was the take at the White House? Uh, the take was that actually that it went kind of as expected. They each made a point of emphasizing their respect for each other. Uh, they know they're they're kind of getting geared up uh, toward. <laughs> Uh, toward the, uh, you know, the debt ceiling. So technically we've already passed the threshold in which, uh, in which Congress would need to approve more borrowing by the federal government. But as these things always work, uh, the, uh, the treasury can play some games with numbers and, and kind of limp us along. They call them extraordinary measures. Uh, and that will take us to about early June, at which point it really gets serious. And we really do have to have an increase in the debt ceiling. We've gone through this many, many times. We haven't defaulted on the national debt. Um, but this time is different because of Congress. The new Congress, of course, has a very thin margin. And the, uh, the, the 
mem- the group of members who might make trouble, the kind of out there caucus, uh, is what could give Kevin McCarthy heartburn and as well as Joe Biden and the whole country. Right. But, well, Leah, the, the speaker was uh, pretty clear uh, after the meeting in terms of what he wants in a debt ceiling. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, has said uh, it's got to be a clean bill. No, no strings attached. Here's Kevin McCarthy saying just the opposite. Very clear. We will not pass a clean debt ceiling here without some form of spending reform. So there'll never be a clean one. So, but Leah, do they really, Republicans really know what they want other than making that statement, right? There haven't been, there's no list of cuts that they're demanding so far. That is the big question. Um, The kind of talking point now is that Republicans want to cut waste. They want to get at any loopholes. um, And that in and of itself should make a difference. Um, But factually, that's probably not the case. Um, In order to see a major change in our spending, it's it's hard to imagine how you do that without touching entitlements or defense spending, uh, both of which are are areas where you know Republicans have, have very little appetite to go after. Um, so I think part of the question is, you know, are there going to be individual programs that are cut? Um, are and right now we're just kind of waiting because we don't know. We don't have these specifics. And Alex, isn't this politically fraught with danger for Republicans? I mean, if they're they are talking about cutting the Pentagon, right? Cutting the woke programs from the Pentagon, whatever they are. Uh, and some Republicans, not the speaker, but some Republicans are still saying they have to cut Social Security and Medicare. I mean, these are the third rails of American politics, Alex. Are they going to go there? Yeah, this is one of those classic Washington conundrums where, you know, everybody agrees there's there's too much waste and uh, you know, fraud and unnecessary spending in the federal government. But then once you actually ask people, well, what would you cut? Uh, you know, one man's waste or one person's waste is another person's beloved <laughs> yeah. project that provides jobs in their district or whatnot. Uh, so it's it's really hard to actually put any specifics on the table, which is why the Republicans have been so reluctant to do it. Uh, my colleague, Sahil Kapoor, has some new reporting out today that, that underscores that, which is that the, the first... Uh, thing that they have floated, and it's um, as somebody on Twitter responding to it said, it's it's the fakest of possible cuts, which is <laughs> to to claw back um, unspent COVID relief funds. So this isn't even cutting a program, uh, uh, let, yeah. let alone an entitlement program. This is you know money that has been already appropriated or approved for spending on COVID relief programs, but just hasn't been spent. Um, but it would allow at least, you know, some face saving and a fig leaf for Republicans. I, I don't know that it will be enough, uh, but I think it kind of gives you a hint of the, the kinds of things they're looking for, which is, you know, minimal cost, uh, mi- minimal political cost. That is minimal right. pain. Yeah. What can we find that has a reasonable dollar figure? You know, this could be up to $500 billion. Um, that, that sounds good, but doesn't actually you know, hurt many people since this was money that hadn't even been spent in the first place. Uh, And Linda, circling back to you and uh, the president uh, and the meeting with uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, So yesterday was the, I believe it was yesterday, um, the annual prayer breakfast. Mm. Uh, And um, uh, the president spoke and uh, he ended with almost a, well, a plea for civility, uh, I I would call it. 
Here is uh, President Biden. Let's just sort of kind of join hands again a little bit. Let's start treating each other with respect. That's what Kevin and I are going to do. Not a joke. We had a good meeting yesterday. I think we got to do it across the board. Doesn't mean we're going to agree and fight like hell, but let's treat each other with respect. Now, not to be too cynical, because I do think civility is a good thing, but Linda, how long is this going to last? Well, holding, I mean, holding, holding hands. <laughs> holding hands and saying kumbaya. So yes, I'm, I'm as cynical as the best of them. But you know, we're heading into uh, a presidential cycle. Donald Trump is already running. More are about to jump in. The, the nastiness level of politics in this country is uh, a real turnoff to voters. And I actually think Joe Biden really does want to keep the temperature down. Now he's, of course, looking ahead to 20, to the 24 race. He says he's, he's by all in, for all intents and purposes, he's already running. Uh, so I, I would take him at his word and let's see what they can do. I mean, I think, you know, it's in Kevin McCarthy's interest also to keep, keep the temperature down because he, uh, you know, he barely won the speakership and he needs everybody to keep their powder dry. So um, let's see what McCarthy is doing about that, Leah, in the House this week. Um, it's it, it, interesting. I saw someone this morning called it Kevin McCarthy's first big win. He was able to throw Elon Omar off the Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh-huh. Is, and, and of course, that on top of throwing uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell off the Intelligence Committee. What is this just really a sign of strength or, or just a sign of revenge, Leah? How do you read it? Yeah, I think I see it as a sign of political maneuvering more than anything else. I mean, we're seeing McCarthy tell or indicate during his conversation with Biden that he's going to need some help from Democrats in order to avoid defaulting on the debt. Um, so at some point, he needs to make nice with Democrats. It seems like like you were just saying, um, he's trying to turn down the volume a little bit with Biden. Uh, but he has this far right you know, group of lawmakers, the ones that prevented him from winning the speakership for, you know, a dozen votes, uh, that's going to want concessions. Um, this is, I think, a clear sign that he's aware of this, that he's trying to give them some things that they want. I just think that it's would probably be naive to think that this is all that they would want. This is going to be a <laughs> constant right. navigate, uh, it's constant maneuvering, because um, McCarthy's really trapped when it comes to actually getting things done by this small group of Republicans and their incredibly narrow um, majority. Interesting that uh, the speaker and his uh, leadership team were not on the floor yesterday while this uh, vote was being debated. There were twice as many Democrats who spoke as Republicans, Democrats, of course, speaking against it, uh, including one fiery speech from the uh, Congresswoman from New York, representative from New York, AOC. Here she is. Consistency. There is nothing consistent with the Republican Party's continued attack, except for the racism and incitement of violence against women of color in this body. I had a member of the Republican caucus threaten my life, and the Republican caucus rewarded him with one of the most prestigious committee assignments in this Congress. Don't tell me this is about consistency. Don't tell me that 
This is about a condemnation of anti-Semitic remarks when you have a member of the Republican caucus who, have, who has talked about Jewish space lasers and also elevated her to some of the highest committee assignments in this body. This is about targeting women of color in the United States of America. And on that point, Alex, couldn't this backfire on McCarthy and Republicans in the House? Well, it, it sets up a, a potentially dangerous tit-for-tat um, you know, situation where this is just what we're going to do every time uh, mm -hmm. you go, you know, a new party takes over. Um, I, they, there is kind of a, an effort to, to have an off-ramp for that led by some moderate Republicans like Nancy Mace, um, who, you know, want to kind of slow this down. Uh, but I think there's a difference between the the Schiff and the Swalwell, not just on the on the procedural because they can be removed. It's a select committee, uh, intelligence right. committee. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, that's a kind of politically. I think that's a situation that plays well for both. Everybody's happy, right? Schiff, who is running for Senate now, uh, can say he's a top target of McCarthy. The Republicans are coming after him. He can raise a lot of money. The Republicans can be happy about it. So the difference between that and the Ilhan Omar uh, situation, which is it just seems to be, you know, we don't like her. We don't like her policies. Um, we don't like who she is. So therefore, she doesn't deserve to sit on this committee. I think that's a, it's it's a more difficult uh, situation to defend. And, uh, you know, I think given who she is, um, as controversial as she is, but her profile, I think cer certainly some people could read it as targeting her uh, because of her you know, race or ethnicity or religion, um, and uh, that's a that's a much trickier position politically. Right. Uh, one of those who voted of, to oust uh, Elon Omar from the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee was the new representative George Santos, <laughs> um, who himself stepped down from two committees uh, last week. He says until he gets his reputation back. Uh, Okay, <laughs> I guess Linda, you and I, the cynics on the panel today, but uh, did he really step down from those committees? Or uh, it is certainly ironic for him to vote for this, I think, after losing his own committee seat. But putting that aside, uh, did he step down or was he shoved out? Well, I mean, with George Santos, it's all everything is kind of notional, right? I mean, is he really even a member of Congress, i.e., <laughs> Can he perform the functions of a member of Congress? Uh, hardly. So whether he's on these committees or not, I mean, if whenever he opens his mouth, it's it's a headline and it's not a good one, no matter what he says, because nobody believes anything he says. So the whole thing, I mean, the only question is how lo how long can he can he put up with this uh, constant humiliation? So in in a way, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm sure, uh, Leah, uh, at Grid News, uh, you have people who are following George Santos around, or at least following his uh, his battles. Um, how do you read it? Uh, it looks like the legal questions uh, about particularly campaign finance, as well as misleading this veteran and ending up losing his dog because George Santos allegedly stole the money. Uh, it looks like that's that stuff is pretty serious and could soon see him in serious trouble. Right. It's really hard to see how, one, he finishes out 
his term in Congress. And then two, what he does, if he does manage to get through the term, uh, because it's hard to imagine that he will be winning re-election in that congressional district in New York um, in 2024. Uh, there are so many strings here. Um, our team at Grid has you know, done our own investigative stories on him as well, including looking at some of his past donations and where he got started. He really has kind of become this accidental member of Congress. Um, mm. And I think we're seeing, you know, just tons of stories coming out. And I think the question is, which one is the one that's going to get him? I do think that the FEC um, investigation is probably the one of the bigger threats. But it's worth noting that in New York, um, Republicans, state Republicans are not fans of George Santos. They want him gone. Um, the person who wants him there is Kevin McCarthy, um, who needed him there for that speaker vote. Speaker votes happened. So uh, I think he, he might be on his own uh, for the rest of this term. Right. Um, so we haven't even gotten into the politics, the national politics of the moment. Well, a lot happened this week. Uh, Donald Trump last weekend holding his first two campaign events. And now he's uh, dumping on everybody who's talking, talking about running against him as being disloyal. And Joe Biden introducing a new chief of staff with his outgoing chief of staff saying, I'm going to be there for you during your reelection campaign, which we haven't even heard about yet. Oh, my God. All of that. Let's get to um, when we come back here after a quick break on the Bill Press Pod and today's roundtable. Today's roundtable in the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. The great men and women of the Teamsters Union realize they are the largest uh, of all of our labor unions and the most diverse of America's labor unions, representing every segment of the American workforce, over one and a half million strong, from vegetable workers in California, construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers in Maine. They cover everybody from, as they say, from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers under the leadership of their new president, Sean O'Brien. We salute the good members of the Teamsters Union and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable. Joining us today uh, from uh, Grid News, Senior Editor Leah Askaranam from the Christian Science Monitor Washington Bureau Chief and White House Correspondent Linda Feldman, and from NBC News Senior Digital Politics Reporter Alex Seitzwald. Alex, you are in Philadelphia covering this um, winter meeting of the DNC, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris today both are coming up there, uh, because you're there, Alex. Uh, (laughs) I'm uh, sure that's it. Is Biden going to announce today? Is that what this meeting is all about? Uh, yes and no. I, I I don't think he's going to you know formally announce uh, his presidential run today. But I do think that that is what his appearance is about, and that is what um, just kind of this whole meeting is about. Everyone knows he's running. Everyone assumes he's running. Um, trust me, I am on the lookout for signs of dissent or or signs that people don't want him to run that, you know, the, the, the Gavin Newsom uh, surge is, is coming. And so far, at least I, I have not found it. Uh, I think the party is, you know, basically in his corner and he is going to work to keep it that way. Um, so the, the big news that's coming out of this meeting is they are going to dethrone uh, Iowa and uh, also uh-huh. in a way, New Hampshire that will formally happen tomorrow uh, on Saturday when the full, DNC meets, and that's a big deal. Um, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire have led the the presidential primary process for decades, and now South Carolina, uh, Michigan, potentially Georgia, are, are going to be, and Nevada are going to be, um, you know, the new kingmakers. And those, coincidentally, or at least South Carolina, coincidentally, also better states for Joe Biden. Um, I don't think that's you know why he did it. I think he would have had no problem reclaiming the democratic nomination with the old uh calendar but he's leaving his mark on the party there was no doubt about where that decision came from um even though technically it's a dnc you know decision and the this rules and bylaws committee spent months going through this process and taking uh, hearings and uh, you know doing all this kind of formal negotiating about how they should rewrite the calendar. And then just overnight with, the, with essentially a phone call, Joe Biden says, actually, I want South Carolina to go first. And suddenly <laughs> that becomes the, the law of the land. But that shows you, you know, he's the leader of the Democratic Party. He mm-hmm. uh, is continuing to, to have a firm hold on it. And they are all getting ready to support him uh, in 2024 unless something very dramatic uh, happens in the next you know, year or so. Right. Uh, I, I must say, I, I salute the Democratic Party for for finally something that's been talked about since long ago when I was Democratic State Chair of California, and that is no longer having Iowa and New Hampshire as the first two states out because they really are not representative of the United States in general. Uh, just expressing my personal opinion on that. I'm glad to see it happen. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, uh, Leah, Donald Trump, Went up to uh, New Hampshire uh, last Saturday, then down to South Carolina. Two events that didn't exactly make a lot of news or have a lot of people there. 
Um, and meanwhile, Ron DeSantis is making some noises of his own in Florida, which Donald Trump is not happy about. Here he is on his way to New Hampshire talking about how disloyal Ron DeSantis is. So Ron would have not been governor if it wasn't for me, and that's okay. So then when I hear he might run, you know, I consider that very disloyal, but it's not about loyalty. But to me it is. It's always about loyalty. Yeah. As we know, Leah, loyalty is a one-way street with Donald Trump, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> no, there's... Uh, I mean, and to be fair, Trump's endorsement was a big factor in, you know, Ron yeah. DeSantis' 2018 gubernatorial race. Uh, but it does seem like, you know, we are seeing in the next couple of weeks, Nikki Haley is supposed to jump in. Trump has reportedly encouraged that or at least been um, supportive on the surface. Uh, but when it comes to Ron DeSantis, he's been taking this kind of negative tone with him for a while. I think the only way to read it is that he sees DeSantis as uh, his biggest threat and really the only credible threat at this point. Uh, if we look at just recent polling, um, national polling, and even you know state polling in key places like New Hampshire, uh, Ron DeSantis is you know continues to gain ground. Um, I do want to make sure not to gloss over the fact that Trump still has a really firm but shrinking share of support. Um, and that's not to be dismissed. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that that DeSantis is now the favorite to win the nomination over Trump. Um, but during his entire South Carolina uh, I, I guess rally speech. It was a little sleepy to be uh, a rally. Uh, he was basically talking to Ron DeSantis. Uh, the main topic over and over again um, was gender and schools. And that is the topic that Ron DeSantis has embraced in order to get on the good side of, of conservatives over the last um, two, at least two years. Uh, so all signs are Trump sees DeSantis as his biggest threat, but the campaign hasn't really started yet. So whether DeSantis actually, you know, rises to the occasion is an open question. Uh, and Linda, maybe the um, the biggest insight we have into what things might look like in 2024, uh, yesterday uh, in an interview with uh, my old radio buddy, Hugh Hewitt from Los Angeles, and now, of course, nationally syndicated, um, the pres former president was asked... <laughs> The question he was asked in uh, one of the first debates in 2016, will you support the nominee of the Republican Party? And and he, after talking about Ron DeSantis and Mike Pence and Mom, Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley and Glenn Youngkin and saying they were all disloyal, Donald Trump refused to say he would support the nominee of the party. It would depend on who the nominee was. Uh, so, Linda, here we go again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. A, a nightmare for the Republican Party. Could be. Could be, could be. Um, I, I was amused by the fact that he um, had, he told reporters that he, that what Nikki Haley had contacted him to say that she was thinking of getting in. And Trump said that he told her, you should do it. And I think Trump knows, he has to know that the more people who jump in, the greater the chances that he winds up with the nomination. He has been losing altitude, but he's still the number one Republican. The latest Emerson poll had him at 55 mm -hmm. among Republican pollsters, almost twice as many as Ron DeSantis. Um, DeSantis 
uh, obviously is did quite well in his reelection in Florida, but he's untested on the national stage and and can be kind of brittle. I think I've spent I spend a fair amount of time in Florida and have watched him uh, perform in person. And um, he's, uh, shall we say, not charismatic. And uh, even though he's waging a very hefty uh, culture war in Florida um, over gender and and quote unquote wokeness. Uh, I'm not sure that's, you know, enough to carry him to a national nomination, especially with, with a heavyweight like Trump in there. So Alex, do you see this as a replay of 2016 where there are um, so many candidates on stage um, that they had to have two different debates, as we recall, the varsity and the JV, uh, and Donald Trump doesn't have to get 51%. All he needs to do is uh, get, what, 30 or something and and uh, and walk away with it. I, I think it's totally possible, and I think Linda's absolutely right that, and I know uh, from my sources that that is how the Trump team is seeing it. They're, they're very uh-huh. much aware, you know, he has 25 to 35% uh, of the party locked down, depending on how you uh, look at it. And uh, that's not an, it's not a majority, but, you know, with basically three or more candidates in the race, that's, that's, uh, that's enough to, to potentially win, especially if they're all splitting the vote. Um, and at this point, you know, he's not going to clear the field that became clear. So uh, to some extent, there's a more the merrier. And, and the, the, the worst case scenario for him is if it becomes a one on one with just Ron DeSantis and everyone else coalesces uh, around DeSantis. So I think for like a Nikki Haley or a Mike Pompeo or, you know, these figures who are probably going to be um, deferential to Trump, if not totally loyal, uh, don't really have much support nationally, you know, at least bankable support. Uh, that's great for Trump, I, I, I think. You know, there, she, Nikki Haley is not, almost certainly not going to defeat uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and I think he can kind of, you know, the joke about politicians, they look in the mirror and think they can be president. He can play to their vanity and say, sure, you know, go ahead and jump in. Um, but I think this, him being so aggressive against DeSantis early is not, it is certainly about DeSantis. He's trying to weaken DeSantis, but I think it's also a warning shot to all those other candidates, to the Nikki Haley's that if you get in, uh, you know, come on in, but be careful coming after me because I, I <laughs> keeps and yeah. I will, I will destroy you if, if need be. Um, and so that is exactly the 2016 scenario where they all want to run against him. They all hope somebody takes him down, but none of them want to be the ones to actually do it. Right. Uh, now, this all points to 2024. One of the things uh, that uh, Joe Biden is going to be talking about, of course, is that he has brought the economy back after the uh, downturn um, because of COVID. Uh, and there is some news this morning, breaking news this morning, that might help him make that case on the jobs front. Leah, I know you've been following that uh, on your phone. Do you want to give us the update? Yeah, no, this was uh, announced around 8.30. The uh, looks like the jobs market added 
517,000 jobs in January. Uh, economists were expecting like a good month at 185,000 jobs added. So 517,000 is significantly higher than 185,000 jobs. Um, I've been talking to uh, my economics reporter throughout the morning because this was supposed to be a pretty run-of-the-mill jobs report. Um, and it looks like it's not what we were expecting. Uh, what we're kind of thinking now is, I mean, it is possible that there is an error and that it's the number isn't this big. It's not totally unheard of for the Bureau of Labor Statistics to go back yeah. and revise numbers, yeah. but whatever it is, it's a big number. It's, it's, that's not going to change. Right. It's huge. And you, by the way, when they adjust the numbers, they usually do so the following month, right? So yes. for the time yes. being, Joe Biden got 517,000 new jobs uh, in January to brag about, and the unemployment rate down to 3.4%, which is lower than I remember, lower than I think I saw a note than the, the last 53 years. Um, Linda, you're going to hear some talk about this at the White House today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And this is just a gift for uh, the president's State of the Union address coming up on Tuesday. Uh, he has a lot of good economic news to report. I mean, the economy is, is fascinating. We all expected a recession. Obviously, we, it hasn't happened. Um, we may escape uh, without one. Inflation is coming down. So there's all kinds of great statistics he can tout. And he has to be careful also to... Uh, you know, show his famous empathy for the people who are struggling, for the people who have to work three jobs to make ends meet. Uh, and, you know, we're all paying more for certain things like eggs, which has become sort of the famous example of, of crazy, uh, one slight, you know, very small but important piece of, of, of food items that has suddenly gotten very expensive. So, um, yeah, big, big, big one for State of the Union. Um, uh, you, that's the perfect segue into the state of the union. Let's wrap up on that. What we expect, this is always a, a big moment for the president. So much thought goes into exactly what his message should be and also how the Congress will respond. Um, you know, they've been working on this for a long time. Alex, what do you expect to hear from Biden? Um, what can we expect to hear from Biden, uh, Tuesday evening? Well, uh, I'll start by saying what we can not expect or should not expect to, to hear, which is a, a major le legislative agenda, you know, obviously with Republicans in control of the House. Now, he's not going to be able to get um, any kind of big proactive wins on legislation. Uh, instead, I think we're going to get some, you know, backwards looking at accomplishments, um, the, the economy, COVID relief, uh, you know, things that the infrastructure plan the, the IRA, um, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, is is funding, which he's going across the country promoting, and uh, using all of that to kind of set up uh, a his his reelect. Of course, he's not going to frame it that way. He's not going to say he's running for for reelection. But uh, at this point, I think the the, the White House and uh, the the party is you know the entire political system really is is reorienting towards the the reelect. So I, um, I'd expect that. And then finally, you know, an olive branch to, to McCarthy with the, the, the stick hidden behind his back on the debt ceiling. <laughs> you know, we got to work together, uh, or else, um, 
but uh, he'll be, I think, more more subtle than that. So I, I wouldn't expect, you know, there's always some laundry list, um, but I don't think this is going to be a, a time for him to lay out some kind of grand uh, legislative ambition. Uh-huh. But uh, on the other hand, Leah, wouldn't it be sort of classic Biden uh, to say uh, just the opposite? Yeah, they say we can't get things done, but, you know, look, look what we got done the last two years now. You know, we've got a chance to do great things these two years. I mean, that's kind of Joe Biden's thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think we I think we can definitely expect him to say we're, we've gotten a lot done in the last two years. That part, I think, is is pretty yeah. guaranteed. Um, the next coming two years, I can see him talking about the need for cooperation with Republicans. I can see him, um, you know, deploring the, the Republicans who are not working with him, um, you know, the what he calls the MAGA Republicans. Um, I can see that being kind of, here are our priorities. And I, you know, in, in a hopeful, optimistic view, you know, need Republican support. And of course, that message is really more about, you know, Democrats are the party that's going to get things done, whereas Republicans are obstructionists, but framed in perhaps a more optimistic, conciliatory tone. Linda, um, I can see, I would be very surprised if the president doesn't take this occasion on Tuesday to say defiantly looking into the camera, we are not going to default on our debts. We are going to raise the debt. We are not going to, or we're going to raise the debt ceiling, period, yeah. uh, and pay our bills uh, mm-hmm. just defiantly, right? Uh, no matter if Kevin McCarthy's sitting in back of him or not. Uh, am I th- expecting too much? Oh, no, he will. For sure, he will do that. He will lay down that gauntlet and make it clear that, yes, we do pay our bills and that. Uh, you know, but, but that he is, that he will work with Kevin McCarthy. This, this is a rare opportunity. Joe Biden rarely speaks during prime time. And I'm not saying that Americans are all flocking to watch state of the union, but you know, a significant number of people will watch. And this is a chance for him, not just to make his case for, for reelection sort of unofficially, but also just to show that he and the Republicans can govern. There's faith in government and Congress in the presidency is so low that all all Washington politicians at a, at a certain point have to sort of drop their differences and just show they know how to do things. So at the bare minimum, raising the debt ceiling is is maybe that one thing they have to do. They just have to keep the government running and not defaulting on the debt. Meanwhile, we will be watching that and talking about it next week and. Uh... And also watching the uh, Chinese spy balloon <laughs> hovering over Montana. Oh my God! I don't, I don't don't know what to think about that. Great job, panelists. Thank you so much for a good look at the news of the week, putting it all into perspective. Alex Seitzwald, Linda Feldman, and Leah Askaranam. And as we always say, there's one story during the week that stopped you in your tracks, at least momentarily, caught your attention uh, more than anything else you were covering or not covering. Um, What's your favorite story of the week? Let's start out. Uh, Leah, can you start us off, please? Yes. The the story I'm choosing was technically from last week, but the action around it revolved around this week. So there was an article in the Washington Post um, ranking marinara sauces last week that made a bit of a splash. Yeah. I I trusted it because it ranked Rouse as number one, which I think is pretty 
yeah. um, obviously the answer. But number two was the Trader Joe's marinara <laughs> sauce, their tomato basil. And I have tried it officially. And I can say it's like pretty second to rouse. It was pretty fine. So uh, definitely mm-hmm. a, a fun look um, that the Washington Post took. It's a fun read. I can't believe I missed that. But if I had a vote, I would have put Rouse up there in number one as well. Um, so the only I, don't answer. Even, I don't even know why I have to try the trade trader, try the trader shows. Uh, no, Alex, what caught your attention? Marinara uh, sauce. <laughs> I, I, I love that story. And uh, I concur that Rouse is, is the way to go. Uh, you know, this is not sponsored content for Rouse. Um, my favorite story uh, was actually from last year, but it but it resurfaced oh. uh, this week. I hope that's okay. Uh, that's fine. For, okay, for for obvious reasons, which is it was uh, Groundhog's Day, and oh. <laughs> uh, there was a scientific study uh, that was published last year where it turns out I was shocked to learn that uh, science does not support groundhog's predictions like i just <laughs> did you know that they actually looked into this oh Medi- no Medi- oh no <laughs> meteorologists actually looked into this and it turns out that when a groundhog sees its shadow it, it is not an accurate predictor of whether there are six more weeks of winter um so i just i thought that was a, a fun like i was kind of surprised that you know real scientists took the time to actually look into this uh but the paper was written with a little bit of, of tongue-in-cheek even though it was in a uh you know kind of academic journal um, format. So I, I, I enjoyed that. Well, I, I've seen a ton of stories uh, on this week's Groundhog Day saying that the groundhog was totally wrong, that spring is arriving in many places ahead of time. Uh, so maybe the groundhog <laughs> that maybe they just have to reconsider the, the <laughs> method of predicting weather. Just maybe. Uh, Linda Feldman, what caught your attention this week? Well, I, I have a, also a bit of a Groundhog Day uh, okay. uh, comment to my pick, but, not, but it isn't Groundhog Day at all. It was the day before uh, Groundhog Day when Tom Brady, oh my. quarterback, yes. announced he was retiring. I'm like, where have I heard this before? So I'm a, I'm a Bostonian. I, I, you know, I will cop to that. Um, been a Tom Brady fan from the beginning. Uh, he announced he was retiring, and uh, of course, he retired a year ago on the day before Groundhog Day, and that lasted 40 days. But my favorite piece of this story is this idea that he might sign a one-day contract with the yes. Patriots so that he can retire a Patriot. I just love that. So he and Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, are very good friends, and I, I predict that will happen. That's my prediction. Do you think it's for real this time? Oh yeah, I do. I think his last yeah. season wasn't very good. It was it was a little humiliating. Um, he should have quit while he was ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I, so I have to, my favorite story of the week. How could you resist this? I saw this headline and I just laughed out loud. The headline <laughs> uh, is I don't quote American arrested in Moscow for taking cow for a walk. <laughs> How could you not resist that headline? And looked into the story. And it was an, is an American animal rights activist, of course, by the name of Alicia Day, who um, bought a cow uh, as a pet. And she named her cow Dr. Cow. Uh, and she took her walk. She did. Took her cow for a walk in Moscow. It, she decided to take her cow for a walk in Red Square, 
which is not necessarily a good idea. Of course, she was arrested. Um, they didn't know what the hell she was doing with a cow in Red Square. Um, she told police and told reporters, quote, I just wanted to show Dr. Cal Red Square. So there it is. <laughs> Lesson learned, right? Number one, I don't think, <laughs> don't buy a cow for a pet. Number two, if you do, don't take it out for a walk. Certainly not in Red Square. I'm going to schedule my uh, summer vacation plans because uh, <laughs> that was really at the top of my list now. <laughs> you know what? It, it raises so many questions. How did she get the damn cow to Red Square in the first <laughs> place, right? Did she keep it in her hotel room? I don't know. I, I want to know more about this. Uh, Leah, put your team at Grid News onto this, will you please? And give us some... Give Absolutely. Us a little, yeah, give we'll us a little background here. Uh, that said, a big thank you to Leah Scarnam from Grid News, to Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor, and Alex Seitzwald from NBC News Digital for today's panel. And thank you all for joining us as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Come back Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We're going to be talking what to expect from this new Congress with Carl Hulse who is the senior congressional correspondent for the New York Times, and I think officially or unofficially the dean of the Congressional Press Corps. Carl Hulse joining us next Tuesday. Again, have a great weekend. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.